Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hey, Fraser, how are you? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm d- I'm doing well. It's been a mm-hmm. busy week, you know, with the Apple event, uh, with a, mm-hmm. a bunch of Apple news coming our way. It's always fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, kind of interesting, those new laptops. I think uh, I can't say as iOS users were particularly excited about them, perhaps, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, they've got that kind of end of an era feel about them a little bit, I think. Yeah. So we're here today to talk about something completely different than new MacBook Pros, oh, <laughs> of yes. course. We, we, don't, we don't talk about those computers on Canvas. And we, we've been asked many, many times since the beginning of the show, uh, what can I do with Workflow? Well, what exactly is Workflow? Can you teach me about the advanced features of Workflow? And we thought it'd be interesting to do not just one episode, not just an overview, but to tackle workflow in stages, in multiple steps as a series, going from the basics and you know moving on to the more advanced features and hopefully in an effort to make uh, every one of our listener, uh, our listeners a, a workflow genius, a crazy workflow programmer by the end of this series. So what is workflow? The app came out two years ago, in December, I think, uh, 2014. It was after the release of iOS 8. And on the surface, Workflow looks like a, like a simple and perhaps more colorful version of Automator for macOS. Automator is the Apple app, which has been around for, I think, several years now. Um, it allows you to automate features of macOS, just the Finder or email messages, images, and Workflow is inspired by the design of Automator in the sense that you can create these automation flows which run from top to bottom. A Workflow is a series of actions that you can develop vertically. Start with the first action, you add a second action below, and so on. There's the concept of input and output. So a workflow can accept input, data. It can be text, it can be images, it can be files, it can be a condition. And it produces an output most of the time. It can be a modified file or a new text string or a specific message to the user. And just like Automator, you run a workflow by hitting a play button kind of like a song, you basically play your workflow and it starts running from the top until it reaches the end. But there's a key difference between Automator from Apple on the Mac and Workflow on iOS. And to an extent, that's also the key difference between iOS apps and Mac apps these days, which is Workflow on iOS brings this completely new kind of automation that truly takes advantage of the native iOS APIs and the integrations between different iOS frameworks, iOS hardware, and iOS apps. And it's this new kind of automation that it was never possible on iOS before workflow. And it truly opened up this new category, this new type of automation that can help you get things more done on, on the iPhone and on the iPad. And This is the reason why Workflow is truly unlike anything else we've seen before on iOS. But there's a problem, which is in two years, the the, the Workflow app has grown so much, it's gotten so much more powerful with every version of, of iOS, with iOS 9, with iOS 10, and throughout the year, the Workflow team has always added new features. And as a result, it can feel daunting to new users. It can feel intimidating, you know, for people who don't know how to start out with Workflow, who don't know how to approach the app, and perhaps who don't know 
why they need automation in their lives and how can they use workflow to help them work faster, work better, and work smarter. And I think Fraser and I, we use, I think we use workflow extensively. I know that Mac Stories and Club Mac Stories, for, at least for me, they run, uh, you know, essentially on workflow in terms of when it comes to managing tasks that I find boring and that I find tedious and that I find slow, I don't want to do them myself. I want to use workflow. And so I think we can start with the basics, explore different use cases for workflow, and throughout this series, which could be three, four episodes, we'll see how it goes, um, dig deep into the crazy possibilities of this app and what you can do on iOS with workflow. How does this sound, Fraser? Sounds fantastic. I think it's... uh it's an app that people have asked a lot about and it's an app that um, it really opens up like another level of iOS to people. Uh, and I think from my point of view, the way I look at you know what can be automated is, well, what do I do every day or what do I do regularly that takes five, six, seven steps? Maybe there's a way that I can turn that into one button. And there's some things that I've done like that. Um, but the other thing that I often ask myself is, is there a feature I'm looking for in an app that I don't know what app it is? Yeah. For for example, one of the things that I do every time we do one of these podcasts is we have a, a file for chapter markers. And I like to write the chapter markers with minute, colon, seconds. But in order to put that into the tool that creates the chapter markers for us, I have to format it as a very more, much more precise time code. But almost all of those fields are just zeros. So I have a workflow action that just takes uh, my basic writing of those chapter markers and it, it Produce, does a text processing on it and turns it into a precise time code for for the chapter system. So that kind of thing, I don't want to. I don't want to manually do that. I do it every week. There's a great opportunity for something that you can automate. Yeah, I think that's uh, also the way that I approach this problem, which is uh, every time I'm I'm working on my iPhone or my iPad, mostly on my iPad these days. When I find myself doing something that I really don't want to do or that I'm being too slow to complete. And this is kind of difficult to understand because when I'm working, I tend to be, you know, kind of in the zone. I tend to be focused on what I'm doing. So I don't really think about how I'm doing what I'm doing. I just do it. And so to kind of sit back and look at, you know, what am, what exactly am I using on my iPad right now? What app am I interacting with? Is there a better better way that I can do this? Sometimes I just try to observe myself, like I look at the screen and I think, okay, how can this be faster? And that's when workflow comes in. That's when I realize I really don't want to do this because for me, what I want to do is write. And what I want to do on my iPhone and my iPad is talk to people. I don't want to you know, spend time figuring out text editing or figuring out some other boring tasks. So a good way to understand why you need automation is try to sit back and look at yourself and the way that you're working on an iPhone and an iPad and try to understand that all the time you're going to invest in learning workflow and learning automation. This is also true for scripting, for Automator, for Apple Script. All the time you're going to invest is going to come back as saved time, saved minutes, throughout the year, throughout the next several years. And that's time you're going to take back and invest in other things that you care about, such as writing or playing video games or doing any other thing. And I truly realized um, how much um, how much time I'm saving now with workflow. 
And saving that time has allowed me to do more things for Mac Stories, for Relay, for Club Mac Stories. So I, I definitely believe it's a, it's a process to learn and it takes time, but it pays off. Yeah, and the other thing that it pays off in is it's not just time saved, although that is a huge factor, but it's also uh, the reduction in errors when you try yeah. to repeat a process oh, in the future. Yes. This is huge. You know, I have, I have a workflow that is called New Canvas Episode. And, and it, it goes through a whole bunch of steps in Dropbox to create a new folder and um, markers and notes and all that stuff from templates that we already have. And every time we do a new show, I hit that button and I have a whole, I've not forgotten anything. It's copied the files to the right place. It's got all the files I need for this episode. And it's just the fact that you don't forget anything as much as I, I didn't have to tap all those buttons myself. So there's two sides to that. There's time saving, but there's also error reduction as well. Yeah, definitely. I've been using some workflows for, for example, to format our newsletters or to insert images in our in my articles on Mac stories. And to use workflow in that way, it helps me be consistent in the work that I produce. And I think there's all kinds of different benefits to using workflow, which we'll explore um, in this series. But I think in general, I know that for people, workflow has always kind of been a fascination, but a lot mm -hmm. of people have said, I don't know how to use this, or I wish I had a use case for this. And I guarantee it takes just a little bit of patience, but uh, I'm willing to bet there's a use case for workflow for you. And hopefully we're going to find it together. Yeah. But before we talk about workflow, I want to quickly reminisce about how it hasn't always been this way on iOS when it comes to automation. <laughs> there were darker days, Fraser. Yes, there were. Why don't you tell me about those days? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were they were dark days in one sense, but we were lucky, we were pleased enough to have them at the time, I suppose. Yeah, and, I and the reason I want to do this part is because we want to talk about a thing called URL schemes on iOS, and these are important because. Um, they are how iOS applications is one way in which they're supported to talk to each other. And workflow very heavily depends on, on URL schemes. So it's important to understand what it is we're talking about when you hear us refer to, you refer to, oh, you just use a URL scheme for that to make it happen. So you know of URLs as being like a web page address, like HTTP colon double slash maxstories.net is a URL, okay? Now, iOS uses the same thing, but the schemes are, are things like omnifocus colon double slash slash rather than HTTP. And then other information is encoded sort of in, this, in the style of a URL, but not exactly like a web address. So you may have omnifocus colon double slash slash add question mark, and then some what we call URL parameters, which are basically keys and values that are information that's being passed from the application that's created that URL to OmniFocus. And what happens is an application will, will compose that URL and then ask iOS, hey, could you please open this? And because it begins OmniFocus colon double slash, OmniFocus gets to open that. And when developers write applications, they can say, oh, my application supports opening these URL schemes and give maybe one or possibly more URL schemes that their app supports. And then an app like uh, Workflow can build in support for opening those or creating or opening those kind of URL schemes. So apps on iOS can't talk to each other and there's no scripting engine built into 
iOS as such. On the Mac, you've got AppleScript, and that's a system-level thing that you can make calls to AppleScript, and AppleScript can do things on your behalf. But on iOS, apps can automate other apps. So what you have to have is you have to have a sort of agreement between developers on one side of this wall and developers on the other side of the wall that says, if I, on the outside, say I'm Workflow, if I send you this URL, you promise to do this kind of thing. And the, the app on the other side has to implement the behavior that's required. OmniFocus is a great example because very recently OmniFocus or the Omni Group built in support for a lot more of that automation on their side of the wall. So previously it was possible to launch certain URL schemes for OmniFocus, but OmniFocus didn't do very much with them once it received that command from another app. And now it does. So OmniFocus is now a much bigger part of the automation ecosystem in iOS. But all of this is done using um, using these URL schemes. And that's still how Workflow mostly interacts with third-party applications. The thing that's different about Workflow is that it also has native built-in actions that can delve into things like your calendar database, your photos database, uh, and, and things like Dropbox as well. So it kind of glues together some of those other things as well as being the kind of puppet master for pulling these strings on URL schemes. So that's just a little bit of background that you need to know as we go through the process of talking about Workflow. And it's been interesting to follow, despite you know um, the changes to iOS extensions with iOS 8 and despite workflow, it's there's still some interesting things going on with URL schemes in the sense that they power they, they are the backbone of a lot of app integrations you know between each other, uh, but there's some. You know, developers are still experimenting with URL schemes and what can be possible with automation based on these URLs. For example, I know that OmniFocus and Ulysses, um, the text editor, and an upcoming note-taking app called Bear, uh, they have started to extend what can be passed uh, to apps with a URL scheme. In addition to text, they're also using, for example, uh, Base64 encoded files, so you can send a file, or like a PDF or an image, to a URL scheme to import it into another app without having to go through the document picker. And I feel like if you know your way around these schemes and these advanced automations, that's a beautiful thing, you know, to, to be able to do. And I've been using those features uh, in, in a lot of my most advanced workflows. But I feel like URL schemes were the only way to do any kind of basic automation on iOS. Now there's a better way. We have multiple ways. There's a Pythonista, there's um, you know other programming apps that integrate with the system, but I feel like workflow is has become the unified dashboard for automation on iOS. And it's worth remembering where things were like, and it's also worth knowing URL schemes for taking advantage of advanced workflows today, but that's for the future. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, one of the things about work URL schemes and workflow is that workflow is a very kind of user friendly way to compose and start a, a URL scheme being launched. But sometimes you get into a situation where workflow doesn't have a nice action for you to do this, and yeah. you just have to compose a URL scheme by hand and fire it off. And you can do that in, in workflow. But if you understand what's happening underneath with these URL schemes, then uh, you can com you can make anything happen, even if Workflow hasn't got a block that does exactly what you want. You can just say open URL and make up your own URL scheme and make that happen as well. 
yeah, workflow tries to abstract a lot of the complexities of URL schemes. But sometimes uh, you're looking for an app and there's no native action in workflow. So, of course, you're going to have to use URL schemes. And I'll make sure to explain how to use those. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like we got to start from the basics. And the the first thing to understand is the workflow programming model and how yeah. it actually works. So, Fraser... What better person than you to talk about okay. this? Okay, <laughs> a L- little computer science education here. Um, I mean, the first thing to understand is that workflow is a programming environment, right? You are building procedural code as you assemble these little blocks in workflow. And it's probably helpful, you know, if you're listening to this, the best way to consume these episodes might actually be to put it on your iPhone and have workflow open in front of you while you're listening to the show just to help you see and, and follow along with what we're talking about. But what is a workflow, right? A workflow is a sequence of one or more actions. And an action is something that's built into workflow that you can drag into your particular workflow that you're building. Some are are, are bits of code or functions that are built into workflow. For example, um, changing the case of text. That's not something that calls out to a third-party application. That's just built into the workflow app. But on the other hand, other ones of them do interact with third-party applications. So, for example, add task to OmniFocus is an action that interacts with a third-party app via its URL scheme, as we just talked about. Um, Workflows run from top to bottom, as you mentioned earlier, Federico. They run from top to bottom, but they can also include conditionals, or if you know programming, that's what we call an if statement, where if something is true, do a certain piece of code, otherwise do another piece of code, or maybe don't do any code at all. And you can also have loops in a workflow as well. So you can repeat a section of your workflow multiple times. Say you're trying to work through five or 10 different search results that you've downloaded from the internet. You can loop over all those results in a workflow as well. So if you know any computer programming, you'll be familiar with if statements and loops. And both of those are available in workflow as well. An action is one block that composes the whole workflow. Actions can take input and can produce a result, although not all do. So input is what, when you put the blocks together top to bottom, the if the input and output are compatible, the output of the previous action and the input to the next one are compatible, a little line appears between them, and that input is fed in from the previous action to the next one. Not all actions do that. For example, there's one called ask for input that presents a dialogue to the user so that you can type in some text. It doesn't accept any input, but it produces output. Another action called delete photos takes a bunch of photos as an input. And as a side effect of running it, it will delete those photos from your camera roll, but it doesn't produce any result as such. But most actions and most of the useful ones that are built into Workflow are what you might call processors, where they take an input, they do some modification on it, and they produce a result. One of the ones I love using is uh, um, add to date, I think it's called, where you get yeah. date. Yeah. You and, and then what you really nicely, because date mathematics is always a nightmare, you can just say add three weeks to this date, which is really nice. You get date, current date, add three weeks to this date, then do something else with it. So that's an example of a processor where a date comes in, three weeks get added to it, and another date comes out the bottom that's different. Uh, So those kind of processes are very, very useful in your workflows as well. However, it is possible sometimes to chain together two actions that have incompatible inputs and outputs. And workflow doesn't really 
it tries to, as you run, and you're going to talk a little bit about this in a second, Federico, as workflow tries to run, it tries to convert into the appropriate format for the next action, but sometimes it can't do that. And you can sometimes get an error, what we call a runtime error, where uh, workflow wasn't able to convert the output of one block to uh, the appropriate kind of input for the next block. But for the most part, the idea of workflow is you put together actions, they run from top to bottom, you can have conditionals, you can have loops, and most blocks take input and produce output, but some maybe only do one or do the other. And that's a workflow. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, for the most part, workflow tries to automatically handle the conversions between different types of input and outputs and you know whatever is going on between the actions of a workflow. And that may sound obvious if you've used Workflow, but it's actually one of the finest aspects of the app. It's called the Content Graph Engine, and it's this special technology that powers Workflow that enables um, every workflow you create to translate, to convert multiple types of input in an intelligent manner so that the workflow doesn't generate an error all the time. Let me give you an example. Say you pick a photo from your photo library in a workflow, and you expect the photo to be an image file. So you're building a workflow and you say, okay, uh, now I'm picking an image and I expect the result, the output, to be an image. But what happens if you put a text section after choosing an image? Normally you would expect an error because an image how can an image be turned into text? Well, the content graph engine allows workflow to know that, okay, this is an image file. It's not supposed to be displayed as text. So why might the user want to turn an image into text? And the workflow, workflow infers that maybe by passing an image to a text section, maybe you want to display the file name which is a text string and belongs to the image. And there's all kinds of these assumption that, uh, assumptions that workflow makes when it converts input types, when it converts data types between actions. And this is meant to save you a lot of time. And I know that it saved me a lot of time because I don't have to do this conversion, these conversions myself all the time, or I just... I can save on the actions that I have to include because I know Workflow can do these translations on its own. For example, I was recently making a workflow that let me um, pass multiple dates, so a selection of days, to a list. And normally you would expect, okay, so I build this collection of date objects. A date object in Workflow is an item that contains a bunch of metadata. So, for example, the name of the day, like Monday, or, you know, the date as 10 October 2016, or the time. All of these bits of data are contained inside a data, data object. And I, I was working with this list of dates, and I, then I dragged a list onto the workflow. And I, because I wanted to choose a date from this list. And after choosing the date from this native iOS UI that comes up, I was expecting the result to be just a normal text string, like plain text. Instead, the Content Graph Engine automatically converted the dates to a list, and the result of the list was again a date object. And this kind of conversion between data types is everywhere in Workflow. You can pass a link 
to a Safari web page to a make PDF action. And it won't generate a PDF with a plain text link in the middle <laughs> of the page. It'll actually go out to the web, fetch the HTML contents of the web page, and print out a beautiful PDF of the HTML with CSS style, just as you were looking at a web page in Safari. So it's one of the best aspects of workflow, the content graph engine, you don't even have to know about it because it's just there. It powers the workflow. You can inspect what goes on behind the scenes if you want. There's a, I think it's called the view content graph action that you can drag in the... This is actually a good thing to do when you're starting out with workflow. You can drag out this action from the library of actions and see what goes on under the hood. See what data types workflow assumes it's dealing with. Uh, I know when I was getting started with workflow, I was constantly inspecting the content graph to know, okay, so I see if I'm working with a data, data object, I can see the name of the day, I can see the text, I can see, you know, the representation on the calendar. It's very handy to know. And as we'll see with time, uh, a lot of these conversions will come naturally as you, you know, become more familiar with workflow. Yeah, workflow just sort of does the right thing in so many cases that you don't know that this incredible thing is going on under the hood as well. I want to mention a couple of other things about uh, what to expect from workflow, what can what can be done, and also what can't be done. One of the the bigger parts of workflow is is the ability to create variables as well, and that's another kind of computer science term for uh, a space, a named space where you can store some information. You can create and set variables in, work, in your workflow and then you can refer to them later on in other actions. So for example, you may ask the user to input their name, let's say, and store that in a variable at the top, go away and do a bunch of other stuff in your workflow and then down at the bottom, you might want to pull that variable back out and, and use the person's name as part of the last action. You can do that, but there's no persistent storage for data in a workflow. So in, unless you're talking about maybe creating a file in Dropbox or something like that, but what you can't do is you can't save data into workflow's own sandbox in the application. Workflows also don't have access to other app sandboxes. Workflow is, you, it's hard to believe considering how complex and rich it is, but it is just a normal iOS app subject to all the same restrictions as any other iOS app. But you do have access to things like document providers. You can launch URL schemes. And you're, crucially, your workflow can talk to the internet. Okay, And there's lots and lots of on, uh, online actions that you can use, such as get contents of URL. You can download files from the internet. You can actually SSH into a remote server and run a command on that server. That's a really cool one that I've used sometimes for some sysadmin stuff that I do. Um, so... There's lots of things you can do, but just do bear in mind that Workflow is um, its own normal iOS application and is subject to a lot of those restrictions, including things like permissions for many of those standard iOS frameworks that we've mentioned, such as calendar, photos, music, location, maps, all of those things that normally throw up uh, permission access dialogues uh, on any other iOS app will also throw them up when you use them in a Workflow but once you give your permission, Workflow can, of course, access your photos, your calendar, and so on. And that's what makes it so powerful. So you're going to want to, you're going to want to say yes to that. But if you drag in uh, an action that uses that access and you haven't given that permission, 
the action will basically be replaced with a section that says workflow does not have access to your photos. Tap to grant access. And you just tap it and the standard iOS permissions dialog comes up and you say OK. And then the workflow can continue from there. Also worth mentioning that you cannot create a standalone iOS app in workflow. It's not an app development environment. But what you can do is you can save essentially a web clip shortcut to an action on your home screen and then you can tap it like an app and it opens in workflow and it runs. There is a little bit of low level access to the hardware, but not much. You can grab some bits of information such as, is this workflow running on an iPad or an iPhone? You can get some information about things like the Wi-Fi network you're connected to. Yeah. So if you wanted to have different behavior for being on my home Wi-Fi versus being somewhere else, that may be something you want to think about doing as well. Um, but yeah, these are these are some of the things that we can do with Workflow. It's a super powerful piece of software, but it's not it's not an app development environment. So don't don't get confused about what's possible and what's not. It is a very uh, complex, very rich, very powerful iOS app, but it is still an iOS app and subject to the same restrictions. Federico, let me take a moment and talk about our sponsor for tonight. Awesome. Okay. Give a, give everybody a moment to rest their brains <laughs> and open up their ears. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash canvas. You get a 14-day trial. When you enter the offer code canvas at checkout, you get 20% off your first invoice. Now, Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who's got a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. So, for example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your servers, databases, websites will be a breeze. Pingdom take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site and checking their availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are more and more sophisticated, and they often include several dependencies such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and loads more. And Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of those key interactions that people are going to have with your site, because stuff breaks on the internet all the time. And every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages, which is more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you've got a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor both its availability and its performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. When they detect an outage, you are immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you. Because you don't want to be caught out when a customer finds out about this, you want to know ahead of time so you can fix it for them. So check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. Go to pingdom.com canvas, for a 14-day free trial and use the code CANVAS to get 20% off at checkout. Thanks to Pingdom for supporting Canvas. We should talk about all the different ways a workflow can run and where you can actually find your workflows because there's quite a few. Yeah. So normally, a workflow lives in the workflow app. You open the app, there's a grid of workflows. Uh, there's a segmented control at the top that lets you switch between your own workflows and the gallery. The gallery is a place where we're going to talk about in the future, but for now, it's uh, an online directory of workflows made by other people, as well as section curated by the workflow team. We're going to talk about that in future episodes. For now, let's focus on the library. So your workflows are available uh, in this view. Unfortunately, there's no way to organize workflows with folders or tags. It's one of my top requests 
for people who use a lot of workflows. I mean, I have like 70 in my app and it's getting slightly uh, (laughs) out of hand. But if you're just getting started, you know, with just a handful, you're going to be okay. Um, You can organize workflows visually with uh, custom colors and custom icons. There's a bunch of glyphs uh, that you can put on the next to the name of a workflow. You can also use emoji as the name of workflows if that can help uh, mm-hmm. and definitely use custom colors to indicate you know, all the different types of workflows that you have. Um, the workflows in the library, you can tap on it and you can hit play or, and this is a neat trick, you can double tap a workflow in the main grid view and it'll run automatically. So you, you'll jump from the library, double tap, you will run the workflow. Uh, on the iPad, there's keyboard shortcuts and there's also a way to uh, connect multiple workflows together using basically daisy chaining the workflow URL scheme to itself. Again, advanced topic, we'll talk about it in the future. Uh, The second way, and probably since iOS 10, it's become my favorite way to run workflows. It's the today widget. So with iOS 10's new uh, search screen, the workflow app updated with a new widget design. And workflows are now, uh, in the widget, are, in the widget there are smaller versions of what you see in the app. So you get these little rectangular colored boxes. And they're also available on the home screen. If you have a 3D touch device and you press on the, app, on the app's icon, you get a selection of four, I think, of the top workflows from your library. And the way the workflow deals with the, with the widget is interesting because you would expect the widget to be just a launcher, and it's not. You can actually run workflows inside the widget for the most part. The iOS widget architecture has some limitations for developers. For example, you cannot show the system keyboard in a widget. You cannot type text into the widget. You cannot uh, display the dictation UI into the widget. There's a bunch of things that are not possible for, for widgets because of Apple's limitations and memory constraints on iOS. But for the most part, workflow can do a lot of things directly in the widget. It can display lists. It can display alerts. They have a different UI than the normal app, but they can be adapted to the widget. Uh, it can make web calls, so it can go, uh, you know, hit a server, for example, and return results from the web. Uh, it can do a lot of things inside the widget, and it's a great showcase of the content graph, which I just talked about, and the way that workflow can, you know, deal with different types of content and turn them into text, for example, and also the way that it can adapt its UI depending on where it's running. In this case, the widget, it's got this more simplistic, lightweight interface that you don't have to do anything about it. It You create the workflow once and then you can run it from the app, you can run it from the extension, you can run it from the widget. I have a lot of widgets that I use exclusively from uh, I, I have a lot of workflows, sorry, that I use exclusively from the widget just because it's faster anywhere on iOS 10. And there's like 10 ways to open <laughs> the search screen on iOS yeah. 10. I can just swipe and, you know, run the widget. Uh, there's also an Apple Watch app, Fraser, which I don't use mm-hmm. much. Do you use workflow on the Apple Watch? Not really. I, I, I think basically I haven't really sat down and thought, well, what can you do in the Apple Watch Um one of the things that is quite clever about the Apple Watch, though, is there's a complication for it. 
And if you use the the time travel feature where you roll the crown on on the watch face, um, the the complication will roll over to different workflows. So one way to get to a lot of different workflows right on the watch face is you just roll up the time travel uh, the on the crown, and the the complication will roll over different workflows, and you can pick the one you want. Uh, of course, in watchOS three, I think you've got to explicitly enable time travel now. It's not built in. Uh, or it is built in, but it's not enabled by default anymore. But it's quite a clever thing to do, but I haven't really done very much with the watch either at this point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The key aspect of workflows extensibility, I think, is the action extension. This is by far the most powerful action extension you will find on iOS. And to understand how it works... I mean, we should probably do an entire episode about the action extension. Uh, mm. It is by far where most of my interactions happen these days. Um, it's based on the concept that I was talking about earlier or of inputs. When, whenever you share something with the iOS share sheet, so the, you know, the system share UI, uh, you, you tap the share icon you run, you tap the workflow extension, which is a little, you know, uh, refresh icon that indicates the workflow. And you're presented with this list of workflows. And something to keep in mind here is that you need to specifically make a workflow, either a widget or an action, an action extension. Inside a workflow, you can tap on a gear icon in the top right and you can specify the type of workflow that it is. If it's a normal workflow, which is the default choice, just leave it as it is. If you want to use the workflow as a widget, make it a widget. It can be multiple types at once. So it can be normal, it can be widget, and it can be an action extension at the same time. When it's an action extension, you need to know what type of data you're passing to the extension. And there's a there's a setting screen for this too in workflow uh, to help you decide what type of data you will pass to a specific workflow. For example, if you want to make a workflow that resizes an image from the Photos app, you will need to make an action extension, set the type to it accepts images or perhaps files if you don't want if you want to use this in a more generic manner outside of photos but let's say you just say action extension images the next time you open the workflow extension from photos you will see that workflow because you specified i want this workflow to be available in the action extension when i'm sharing an image and of course when you tap the share icon in the photos app you share an image and it takes a while to understand all the different data types that iOS passes, this is a key term, the way that iOS passes data to the share sheet. This can be also confusing and it's partly Apple's fault. It's not always clear what type of data you will end up getting from the share sheet because the share sheet itself can deal with multiple types of data at once. So for example, um, when you're in Safari, you can either get the link of the web page or you can get the DOM, which is the basically the HTML structure of the web page. But Workflow does an excellent job at separating all the, these different bits of data that it gets from the extension. But the key aspect to understand is, if you want to make a Workflow, an action extension, 
pay attention to the data types that the workflow accepts. The default choice is anything, but if you choose anything, it'll mean the workflow will always be available, even in places where you don't want the workflow to show up in the action extension. This is a common mistake that a lot of people do. They make a bunch of workflows and then they go to the Photos app and in the Photos app they also have workflows for Safari. There's, you know, there's no need to do that. So if, you, if you're making a workflow for images, select the data type, the input to be image. This workflow accepts an image. If you want to make a workflow, for, a workflow for browsing the web, just make the input type Safari web page. It takes a little patience, but once it becomes a habit, you will see you will have a workflow extension that it's much better organized, much easier to use, because every time you, you, you launch it, you, you will find just the workflows that you need contextual to the task that you're about to perform. And finally, I think there's also the... Um, we got to mention the workflow URL scheme. Uh, it's a more advanced aspect of the app. It's a more advanced topic. Um, it lets you automate workflow with other apps, such as Drafts, for example, or Launcher, or Pythonista, even JavaScript bookmarklets in Safari. Um, there's a lot to cover here. It's probably one of the last topics we'll, we'll take a look at, but... Uh, just to just as a quick recap, in apps like uh, Drafts or Launch Center Pro or Launcher, you will find buttons and actions that open workflow directly. This is not a special integration. It's based on the workflow URL scheme that anyone, even you, can use. And we'll talk about that in the future. Cool. I was going to say one other thing just about the about getting to know the share sheet a little better is what you could do is you could make a workflow that just says inspect the share sheet and the first and only action in that would be uh, view content graph. And what you could yeah, do is just exactly. whatever, whatever app you're in, just run my inspection workflow and just look at what appears in the content graph from the application that you're trying to, trying to script from. So if you go into, say, Safari and just run, you know, inspect the content graph, you'll see that it gives you a DOM, it gives you a URL, it gives you various other bits and pieces. Uh, lots of applications do provide multiple representations to the share sheet, and that's a great way to get to know the app because you're trying to dig a little bit under the share sheet. The share sheet does, never comes up and says, oh, I have got all these different bits of data for you. It just tries to do the right thing for you. But when you're trying to program against that, you need to dig in a little bit. And building yourself a sort of inspection workflow just to get to learn that is a really helpful way to get started. So how about running workflows? Uh, we mentioned earlier, you need to tap the play icon at the top of a workflow. That's really all you need to know to, to start out with this app. Just hit play and see what happens. The workflow will run from top to bottom. You will see um, a whenever an action is running, it'll be briefly highlighted in green. Normally, you're not supposed to see the green highlight because the app is so fast, especially on the latest hardware. The work Running a basic workflow takes less than a second, way less than a second. Yeah. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, downloads, uh, large files, you will see the green progress bar on top of an action. In the Today widget, it's basically the same concept, only uh, the widget contains all these different boxes which represent 
uh, all of the workflows that you've enabled as today widgets. And when you tap one, you will get a progress bar on top of the workflow. Uh, usually, you will see the progress bar more often in the widget, I think because of memory constraints or performance issues with the with um, making widgets work on iOS. Uh, but in general, it takes about a second to, you know, get... Uh, uh, get a workflow to run on the widget. And it also depends, I think, on how many widgets you have installed because iOS is doing a bunch of odd things with the handling uh, RAM and, you know, memory pressure uh, in the search screen. Yeah, both both the uh, the today widget and the action extension are both subject to greater uh, yeah. limitations on on memory and CPU time, I think, than than the application itself. But it's worth mentioning that there is an action called continue in the workflow app, yes. where you can you can start an, a workflow in say the today one if you want to have it there to trigger it, and then what will happen is that when it hits that action, it will flip to the workflow application and continue there, which gives gives you more space to do things as well. Something also worth mentioning is, in the action extension, you can do anything, I think anything you can do in the workflow app, you can do in the action extension. It runs in the context of another app. So for example, if you're dealing with text in Ulysses and you want to do something with workflow, you open the action extension in of workflow inside Ulysses, you don't need to leave Ulysses. You'll stay there. Um, and the action extension even lets you do things like typing with the keyboard or, you know, picking images. Um, I know I went a little crazy once and I tried to <laughs> uh, call the workflow ex extension from the workflow extension. Don't, don't try <laughs> this. Don't try this for now. Don't it's kind of an inception type of getting work done, um, but it's definitely possible. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I also want to... Um, I also want to mention the action extension can launch other apps using the open URL, URL action, which is one of the most useful actions, possibly one of my favorites in workflow. You can jump from the extension to another app without having to go from, you know, from the extension to workflow to the app that you want to launch. There's all kinds of possibilities that we'll cover. But for now, remember normal widget Action, action extension, this should cover all the basic ways of running workflows. That's cool. Do you want to take a look at doing a basic workflow? Yes. Teach me okay. how, Fraser. <laughs> okay, so let's begin. Uh, if you're listening or following along at home, you might want to open workflow at this point. Uh, so we're going to talk through just a very, very basic workflow with a couple of actions, and we're going to show you how to put something together. So step number one, just open workflow. And if this is the first time you've ever launched the application, you're going to go through an initial tutorial. So you might want to pause the podcast right now, go and do that tutorial, then come back. Okay, you're back? Good. So in, in the My Workflow section, which is that grid of workflows that Federico mentioned, you're going to tap the plus button that says Create Workflow. And this brings up an empty workflow document. And what we're going to do to give you to let you know what the aim of this is is we're going to make a basic workflow that lets you type in some text and then it's going to translate it to Italian for you. So Federico, this can help us uh, foster cross Europe uh, understanding with this workflow. 
Um, or it can help me get a cup of coffee in Rome, I don't know. Um, so here's how you do this, right? There's, there's a few steps. There's maybe seven or eight steps. And what you're going to do is, on if you're looking at this on an iPad, on the left-hand side, you're going to see a set of actions. Now, there's that the pane on the left hand side is it's got a navigation to it so you can there's a button in the top left that lets you go back to a, a larger list but workflow tries to sort of recommend to you what it thinks you might try and do next based on what you've already got in your workflow so if you don't see something you can always hit the back button in the top left corner and go back out to the master list but the first one we're going to look for and don't forget you can also search for the names of work of actions is we're going to look for the one called ask for input and what you do is you, you can search that or find it in the list and just drag it from the left-hand column to the right and put it into your workflow. And you'll see the little block expands out to have a number of, of fields inside there. And what you can do is you can configure this action the way you want it. So uh, there's a section called question and we're going to set the question to what shall we say? That's just arbitrary text you can put in. The input type for input is by default text and we're going to leave it that way because we want to type in some text. Uh, you can also, just for your information, when you use ask for input, you can also ask for input as numbers, in which case it will show you the number keypad when it runs, or you can ask for a date and it will show you a date picker. But in this case, we're going to use this action just as text. But that's a good example of somewhere where one single action, if you configure it in different ways, can actually give you a very different result. So you can have that as a number keypad or you can have it as a date picker as well. So that's our first step. That's how the user, you, is going to provide some input into your workflow. You're just going to see a dialog box. You're going to type some text into the box and hit OK, and the next step will happen. Now, that next step, we're going to look for an action called translate text. So if you find that in the left-hand side and drag it in, it's got a yellow icon, I think, with a globe glyph on it. You drag that in and drop it just underneath your ask for input section. So now we've got ask for input and we've got translate text. And what you should see is you should see a little gray line appearing between those two. And what that indicates is that whatever you type in as input is going to be passed as a result of the ask for input action. And that's going to become the input into the translate text action. Now, we're going to change the to section. You'll see that the translate text action has got uh, options for the languages you're translating from and translating to. And I believe by default, uh, the translate from is just automatically detect. So it'll figure out whatever language you've typed in and you can change it to. So you tap on the to section and I want you to choose Italian in that list. There's a long list of actions of languages that are available. I think, I presume this goes through Google Translate, but I'm not sure. Um, and then you can choose Italian in that list. And then basically all you've got to do is hit play. Okay, so we've got ask for input and we've got translate text and then we're going to hit play. And what you should see at this point is you'll see the first block go green and then a little iOS dialogue will come up and it will say, what shall we say? The question that we put in and just tap in the box, type in a phrase and hit OK. And then that input, you'll see the, uh, the translate text box will go, will go green and it will do the translation. And then at the end, what you'll see is you'll see a little box coming out the bottom of that, which has got the result of the workflow. Now that always pops up whenever a workflow finishes and it's, um, it just shows you the sort of final output of the last block in your workflow. And in there, you should see whatever phrase you have typed in translated to Italian. There you go. You've built your first workflow. Nice. Yeah, that's also a very good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very clever. Um, I, I wanted to 
talk about quickly about my sort of method when it comes to putting together new workflows. Uh, so actually, it's two things. Uh, the first one, if you have an existing workflow that you want to modify or you want to experiment with in a different way, you can duplicate workflows in the app. Just hit the edit button in the title bar in the main view. And then when you select your workflow, they will start wiggling like uh, icons on the home screen. And when you select one, you can duplicate it. And I do this all the time when I'm uh, making a slightly different version of a workflow that, uh, that I already have, or I want to develop uh, the same workflow in a different direction. Duplicating workflows, definitely handy. And by the way, make sure to activate uh, the workflow sync account. So you can create an account in the settings. Um, you will basically start syncing workflows with the workflow servers. Um, again, super simple, just username and a password. And it's... It saved my, you know, my library multiple times over the years uh, because it lets me pull down all my existing workflows on multiple devices. It's beautiful. Um, yep. My method for putting together workflows is I call it the sandwich approach, which is, it sounds delicious, but it's also quite useful. Uh, <laughs> when I have something in mind, what I do is I drag the very first action and the very last action, because I want to visualize what I want to start with and what I want to produce in the end. It gives me boundaries. It lets me know you're going to start with an image and you got to end up on WordPress. For example, you got to end up with a blog post. And having this kind of start and finish makes the empty workflow less intimidating for me. And it also helps me drag actions in between making connections and knowing where all the different steps need to go. So if you're finding yourself having a difficult time uh, making the first steps with workflow or knowing, knowing the best order for your actions, keep in mind two things. A workflow always, run, always runs vertically from top to bottom. So whatever happens at the top is passed to the bottom. And also try this approach. Try to start with the first action and also the last action and put anything else in the middle. See if it helps. Since I switched to this method, I've found, uh, I, I have found workflow much easier to approach. And you know, maybe, maybe you can find it useful too. Yeah, that's a, a great suggestion, and it's always good to keep and keep your eye on where it is you're going. Yep. Uh, a couple, a couple of other things just to wrap up with that last workflow and and the kind of things that we're doing here. Um, up in the top of there's a play button where we've hit play before. If you tap that gear icon, you can set up various attributes for the workflow. Now, Federico, you already mentioned that's where you go to set it, set the type of the workflow, whether it be action extension or watch or today widget or normal. But also in there, that's where you can name the workflow. So you could you could name it something like translate to Italian or something like that. You can change the icon. You can change the glyph. Uh, that is the, the icon uh, on the frame. And you can also change the background color as well. And as you mentioned earlier, Federico, that's really important for managing workflows because there aren't any folders. So the, the best technique I know of is color coding. And you can also manually drag and reorder your workflows in that grid. So I've, I've seen... Uh, Several people I know who do workflow, um, they are very rigorous about their color coding. I know that for me, all the, all my workflows that interact with OmniFocus, they're all purple because that's the OmniFocus color. And that's how I kind of keep myself uh, uh, sane while I'm doing that as well. 
Uh, that's about the best we can do right now in, in that kind of thing. The other thing I just wanted to mention was that if you are uh, not sure about what you're doing or if you're trying to remember what you've done, there is also an action in workflow called a comment. Now, a comment in computer science or, or in programming is just uh, some text that is in the program to explain how the program works. It has no effect on the execution of the program, and it's basically thrown away by the workflow system as soon as you hit play. And when I say thrown away, I mean, I mean ignored. It's not deleted by the, by the system, but it has no impact on the operation of your program. And it's a really good idea. If you're not sure of exactly how you're going to do this, drop in a comment box, as a comment action as your first action, and then just write in there what you're trying to do. And the act of just thinking about what it is you're trying to do often gets you unstuck for how to get started and, and how to progress towards that goal. Also, if you ever share your workflow, having comments in there is a really good thing to do. And if you do end up building advanced workflows, also put your name and contact information in there as well, because when the, that workflow starts to get shared around, uh, it's good to have your contact information going along with it as well. So Federico, is there anything else you want to say as a, as a starter for workflow? I think we've given people enough to chew on. Yeah, right I, I think we've covered the very basics quite well. And to give you an, an idea of what's coming next, we're going to talk about actions. We're going to talk about the different data types in workflow. We're going to talk about variables and what you can do with them. And we're going to cover uh, the more advanced topics, such as using workflow with third-party apps and what you can do with uh, conditional and repeat loops, what you can do with web APIs, what you can do with dictionaries. There's a bunch of things that we want to cover. And it was necessary if you know workflow. I think it's still useful to listen to this episode um, because, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to have a refresh on the basics. And if you didn't know workflow before, hopefully, you know, this episode uh, will help you m move along and start using workflow properly and see how you can save time. We would love to hear from you if you have ideas, questions, if you made a workflow and you want to share it with us, or if you want to ask us how you can make a specific workflow. We're saving questions from listeners for a future episode in which I guess we'll try to tackle the most interesting ones. And so make sure to uh, contact us on Twitter where our username Fraser is underscore canvas FM. That's perfect. So there you yep. go. Great. We, we do have a, a note. I'm, I'm capturing all of those as they come in. We're not replying to every single one because we're getting a lot of similar questions like, you know, how do I get started was probably the most common question. And I hope we've answered that question for everybody right now with this first show. But it, we'll be putting show notes for this uh, on reallyfm, really.fm slash canvas slash 22 for this episode. So we'll put the relevant links and, and so on in there. Um, you can contact us online, underscore canvas FM is the show. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici, and we'll see you next time for our next episode on Workflow.